2: Hi there. This is Amaka Anku with the If Not Now When podcast series. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Yemi Diperolu, who is a special advisor to the president on economic matters. Now, it's important to understand that the goal of this conversation was to get a sense of how some policymakers are thinking about government policy making and the challenges that they face. It was not intended to be a discussion specifically about the current administration, whether its successes or its failings. That will be a separate conversation that we will have with other economic analysts. If you have suggestions, For analysts to have that conversation with, please let us know. In the meantime, enjoy the conversation, and as usual, let us know your thoughts. I wanted to start this conversation with a broad conceptual question that developing governments everywhere often struggle with, the appropriate role of government in the economy. Can you walk us through how you
3: think about this question thank you very much thank you amaka happy to be here i think the most important thing i want to say is that there is a tendency to see the relationship between governments and markets as exclusive and mm-hmm. i i would say it's not either or it's both and in other words government certainly has a major role to play um, in providing macroeconomic uh, stability, in providing a vision for society, in helping uh, to coordinate economic activity. But government cannot successfully in many instances run private activity because it doesn't have the knowledge, it has agency problems, and there are difficulties that emerge uh, in the process of government trying to do everything. But I think it's a question of also time and space. So there's a time in which governments, for instance, early independence in Africa, tabula rasa, you have to get many sectors up and running. So you try to intervene. Same thing in Korea, same thing in Japan. So Meiji Japan, of course, was different from Japan of today. So the role of government changes. So if you're at the start of economic transformation, of course, government will do more things you want to build power plants, you want to do steel plants, mm-hmm. you want to educate your children, you want to stimulate manufacturing. You know, but as time goes on and some of those things take off, as you found in other societies, then government begins to move out of some of those uh, areas. So I would say, yes, uh, government has a key to play, uh, mobilizing resources for development, providing macroeconomic stability, and helping people to understand uh, ha- uh providing what I call normative standards. In other words, helping Mm -hmm. society to know that we must work together uh, on a common value system that allows us to do business successfully, that kind of thing.
2: Right. So where do you think we are in Nigeria now? In this sort of, you're, you're describing a bit of a spectrum, right? Like initially, government needs to kind of provide the stats, provide the norms, provide the guidelines, but it's not, it can't really run the businesses, but it has to provide incentives, right? So, Where are we in Nigeria? What do you think the government is doing effectively? And what do you think it needs to do better in terms of driving economic transformation?
3: Again, thank you. I I don't think one can really answer that question without taking a historical perspective Hmm. in the sense that in the post-independence era, it was clear that government was trying to do many things. It had marketing boards, They had import substitution, industrialization policies. Um, They had policies for education, policies for health. Um, Indeed, they even owned hotels. And I think it was the 1970 uh, National Development plan spoke about governments controlling the commanding height of the economy, controlling banking, controlling certain sectors. Yes, the petroleum sector.
2: You mean that was a? It was an objective of government, you said? In the yes, because in the national yeah, development
3: plan to control the commanding heights of the economy and to build self-reliance in certain sectors. Mm. But then you moved along that, some pretty good levels of success, but then you ran into the economic shock, the debt crisis, the foreign exchange okay. So you moved into structural adjustment programs, and then the debate is on as to uh, all those privatization that took place, all those cutting back of the role of the state, were they not too early? In other words, you, you transferred a lot of things to the private sector. Um, was it not too early in the sense to stop supporting manufacturing, for instance, and leaving it to its own mm. devices? Trade liberalization, an issue. So those questions arise, rolling back the role of the, the, the state so that um, you find that the public sector is not as powerful or strong or as useful as it could be in helping to drive development. Um, So I would say that that journey, I think, um, caused a lot of disruption, uh, Mm. uh, so to speak. And I think, to be quite candid, not not only Nigeria, but a lot of us are trying to pick up the pieces in terms of what should be the complete policy package that countries like ours uh, should Mm. adopt.
2: So you're you're saying that Nigeria moved. You think Nigeria moved too early to roll back to liberalize. to liberalize. So tell me more about that because there's also there's an argument that a lot of the things Nigeria was doing was ineffective, was inefficient, and so it needed to liberalize. So tell me why you think
3: it was too early. Excellent, excellent. Okay, I'll let let's take uh, three areas for instance. Mm-hmm. The first, I think, which um, we, we all saw was in the liberalization of the foreign exchange markets. Um, so we liberalized the foreign exchange markets. Maybe we had some supply issues. But we liberalized it, and since uh, 1986, we've been struggling to get the right uh, foreign exchange regime right. Mm. You know, so again, I'm not saying that the other extreme of the fixed exchange rate is necessary, right. but maybe you may liberalize too early onto your out what works for you. Second was trade liberalization. You basically allowed everything to the economy, secondhand clothes, secondhand cars, goods from all over the world. So you kill your textile industries, which are the greatest um, uh, employers of labor. You had over a million people maybe working in the textile sector. Maybe today, if we have twenty something thousand, we'll be lucky. So the point being that you liberalize trade, you liberalize the banking sector. May have worked uh, to some extent in the sense that yeah. now you had lots of new bankers. You know you had, but then you you still have a problem with how do you manage interest rates in such a way that they do not kill um, uh, production. So borrowing at twenty-five to thirty percent, I don't think really helps uh, uh, industry and Bank of Industry, fantastic institution. There's a limit to how many people it can lend money to within the economy. So I've spoken right. about exchange rates, I've talking about uh, interest rates, I've spoken about trade, uh, but there is even the whole problem of the privatization. So mm. if you look at the privatized enterprises, um, I think the banks have done well. I, I want to be candid about we're we talking you know, about privatization
2: since the 19 since the, transition the ages, democratic i'm telling you about how
3: age. we may have liberalized too early, too early. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i'm saying that some sectors that maybe banking led to some contribution to the economy but maybe over financialization because then you are not able to finance things that need patience capital you are trying to finance things that will bring your returns back mm-hmm. very very quickly and so you have to ask yourself that um was that the speed at which you needed to move? Uh, For instance, just to give a crude example, Korea in 1960 nationalized their banks so that the banks could be a source of credit for the industrial sector. I'm not recommending it, I'm just saying that various countries, various times, various things. So now you have a very fairly active financial sector, perhaps, but nearly all the other privatized sectors are not really doing well. Maybe LME, which was bought and now... Exports, yeah, but you will be hard. Put even the simpler things uh, like hotels right. and things are really not doing uh, as well as they should do.
2: What What would have been the alternative? So let's just take foreign exchange as one that is still a live issue today, right? right. If you didn't, if you didn't liberalize it, I mean, I, I, some, some 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 people would argue that it's not even liberalized today right? Because the central bank is still effectively controlling exchange rates. And, and, you know, there are reasons for that. Like I would argue basically central bank is the only supplier of dollar, right? Which is not, you can't, which even if they wanted to liberalize it, there's nobody else to supply dollars. Right. But what, what would be the alternative in your view? No,
3: no, 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 no. no. I'm not even saying that at all. I was talking about the historical perspective. Historical.
2: Yeah. Right. Okay.
3: But then you didn't. When you move now, you just devalued rather than put in place a a mechanism by which the foreign exchange market that will sort of stabilize itself vis-a-vis supply and demand. So we always try to sort of control it a bit. You know, when it gets too much, we say no. Now it's twenty-three or twenty-three naira, twenty-four naira dollar. So So we're always moving back and forth. Compare with Kenya since the early nineteen nineties. If you check the Kenyan uh, exchange rate of shillings to the dollar, you find a band between 1990 and today, a band of between 80 Kenyan shillings to 115 Kenyan shillings, 120 Kenyan shillings. So that band is relatively narrow. Uh, right. Because I'm not saying that to so liberalize, but liberalized after putting certain things in place in to place. ensure demand, to build confidence right. in that market. So even when you, about central bank trying to peg is because they're trying to prevent it from going out of control. Right. But in trying to prevent it out of going out of control, perhaps you're frightening people away from the market as well.
2: You right.
3: Know? So it's pretty complicated. I sympathize with them really,
2: but uh, yeah. Uh, so let me let me close the loop on this because I want to make sure people understand what you're saying because I think a lot of people are going to listen to this and say, "Oh, he's they're you know they want to nationalize everything and they don't want the government." I know, I know, I know, I know. So this I, so I, I, I want to make sure, no, so I want to make no, sure people no. understand, right? I think what you're saying is, if you go back to the historical evolution right. of how Nigeria's government approached the economy and approached the market, you think they made a certain mistake in, historically, in the 80s, that has led to Structural issues that, that, that we see today in some sectors, right? That doesn't mean that we want to go back and turn back the clock. No, 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 you're saying no. that those are mistakes that, that created certain distortions that became right. difficult to come back from. So, so, yes. when, so let me just, I think the trade li- liberalization one is clear. You, you know, you're saying basically by liberalizing textiles too early, they lost a lot of jobs, they created a lot of economic dislocations, Um but what would have been, just, just like, so just like so I think people, I, I don't quite understand the foreign exchange one, right? Like what would have been, what do you think the impact was in the eighties that was distortive? Like what do you think they could have avoided by not liberalizing then? Does that make sense? My question?
3: No, I think I must make myself clear. I'm not arguing against liberalization of anything or all things. Right. I'm saying that. You, you do it in a way that fits with your objectives, long-term and right. uh, medium-term. So, for instance, uh, to use the foreign exchange market, just to go back there. Right. We started with the second-tier foreign exchange market. So, again, mm-hmm. uh, we still try to allocate um, to what we thought were important sectors at a particular rate. And we allowed the second-tier market uh, to go on. So right. in other words, we've always sort of had an official parallel rate. And I'm saying that would that have been right. the best possible approach to go on to it? I think there were several aspects of liberalization that were important for the Nigerian economy. Right. I'm, I'm clear That's about clear. that. Certain, okay. certain sectors uh, certainly benefited. Some sectors did not. But right. the point I'm really trying to make is I'm talking about timing. That, right, you, you know, right. that you move steadily rather than big bank. Maybe that's the point I'm trying to make. Right, we right. Sort of say that this okay. sector needs to grow right. and this sector needs to grow along this line. So guess what, textiles, I'm going to open you up. But I'm going to open you up in five years mm-hmm. uh, and you have to meet certain metrics uh, every year. And we were doing that with the auto industry. The auto industry had gotten to a stage where um, we were producing batteries, we were producing glass. Uh, We had tire factories in Nigeria, right? But then, if we opened up that market immediately, the auto industry then was swamped by competition from foreign uh, cars. And then, subsequently, the battery batteries uh, factories had to close down. The tire factories had to close down. The glass factories right. have to close down, whereas the backward integration had started already. So right. I'm saying that maybe with a bit more deliberateness. Deliberate, yeah,
2: that's Yeah, fine. a little bit
3: more deliberateness that like we need to do this, but we need to do this in a very deliberate manner rather right. than uh, just big bang approach. Maybe that's, that's the fair. point of trying to
2: No, that's fair, and I think that's clear. I'm glad I'm glad um I I'm glad you've clarified that. So with that in mind, right? how do you think we should be thinking about government's role in the economy going forward? So I hear, you know, hearing you and sort of, look, your point is there is a role for government to play in the economy. It's not necessarily running everything. It's nobody's arguing for command and control. There's a certain level of deliberation of laying, of sort of setting a foundation and then, you know, encouraging competition and so on and so forth. So, what do you think that looks like? If you were, you know, I know, what do you think that should be looking like today? You know, maybe taking just some of the key industries or key sectors, right?
3: You know, let me put it this way. I think there are five things that I think a government should do as it tries to develop a country. Right. I think the standard one, which nobody would debate, is to provide macroeconomic stability. It's you know it's the volatility in prices, you know, inflation, in exchange rates, in debt, in debt that sort of makes it difficult for people doing business to understand the environment, and then they begin to take short-term perspectives rather than mm-hmm. long-term perspectives. They try to watch their back, so to speak. So I think that's key, you know um the story goes if you read all the literature that during depressions for instance the korean government during recessions would support businesses first and foremost i mean manufacturers Mm. first and foremost that you're not going to feel the weight of this uh, external shock because we have to make sure that we continue to produce right so the second thing i would say government must do is to play an entrepreneurial role you must provide a vision and you see that we've tried mm-hmm. that to be, be candid. Where are you taking society to? And mm-hmm. You provide the vision not by imposing it, but by consulting with people and saying, look, mm-hmm. what kind of society are we trying to build? Mm-hmm. Not done in a mechanistic manner, but in a holistic manner that encourages people that feel that they have a stake. And as part of that vision, of course, you then help to mitigate risk. You help mm-hmm. to say, look, if you go into this new sector, I'm going to give you what a pioneer incentive or something. Not mm-hmm. right. more mm-hmm. generalized, you know, but specific sectors that can help to transform the economy. It also helps them to raise resources. So I call that playing the entrepreneurial role. the role of mm-hmm. the entrepreneur is to have a vision is to provide resources, it's right. to help to mitigate risk or find ways of mitigating risk. I think very, very important role for government to play as change happens is as a conflict manager. And I'm not talking about... So that's fight, number three. Right. Yes, I'm not talking Come about insecurity head. here. Yeah. I'm talking about managing the conflict between what I call um, capital and labor. Mm. So as you move out of certain sectors, people begin to lose their jobs, for instance. People mm. begin to feel that they're not paid relative as well as relative to other sectors. Mm-hmm. So you have to think through how do you help to manage those social relations, as it were, so that those whose factories have to close because they're no longer efficient, those mm-hmm. whose sectors uh, are being pushed out by more dynamic sectors, how do, you, because, hey, if I trained um, as a typist and then the world is moving to computer programming, mm-hmm. then I think of it as a role to help me to find my way as in that new emerging world you know so I'm going to train you as a computer programmer because you know how to type you know what the keyboard looks like so you're a natural data person but you don't know how a computer looks like so no private person is going to provide those kind of resources to people because I train you you go and work for somebody else I've lost money I was saying that I mean ideally if you want to have a developmentalist agenda Governments to act as the conflict manager, but not in the sense of peace and security now, but in the sense of social relations, in right. the sense of if uh, people are losing their jobs due to changing economic changes, you help to mitigate their feeling of alienation. So when okay. I use the example of the typist, that ideally if someone has learned to type and the world is moving out of type writers into computers, you then as a state, have To sort of help the people to acquire the skills that right. can enable them to be computer programmers or data analysts, whereas no private sector person is going to spend his money giving you those skills exactly. because it gives you the skills and you going away, it's basically a loss, right? So, That's the point I was so before you move to
2: number four, right? So, you've you know, talked about five things that you think government should be doing first was macroeconomic stability provide a vision because i think the vision component relates to the conflict manager role right because the whole idea is that people often forget that economic transformation is ugly it's messy it involves losers it involves a lot of disgruntlement yeah yeah winners too but it's not not everybody will be winners there'll be lots of losers who are unhappy and who try to stop The transformation, right? And so the way you manage that is by having a vision that you keep reminding people and that you get everybody to buy into, right? And so the reason I wanted to stop you here and, and like tease that out a, bit, a little bit, because anytime you talk about vision with Nigerian politicians, they'll tell you, well, there's Vision 2030, right? We have a vision. It's on paper. Look at the paper. <laughs> so tell me why that's not what you're talking about. It, are you talking no, no, no. about it's
3: actually it's actually what I'm talking about? Okay, okay. <laughs> but it must be all encompassing. So right. if you look at the ERGP or the ESP, let's use the ESP as an example. ESP is the economic sustainability plan. There is an attempt to ensure that you can give skills to young people in the technological space, in the digital space. Right. You know, in other words, there are policies to try and help in the creative industry. So it's not just about education now, but even after you finish the education, there are programs that are intended to help bring you up to speed around creativity, around uh, uh, use of computers. So we have this program coming up called the iDice, which is investing in digital uh, uh, and creative enterprises. A basic component of that is skills, imparting skills to young people. So you may not have learned how to program in school. You may not have learned how to operate a movie camera in school. Uh, But then you have this program that gives support working with our institutions to enable young people to move to the digital economy. I just use that as an example. Yeah,
2: I tend to think it's not enough to have these plans on paper, right? So when I think about a vision, I think about something that speaks to everyone, that everybody can buy into and everybody understands. So that it's like a clear, there's a clear message. I'm trying to think of like, what would be a good example? China's common prosperity. I don't know if that's, you know, kind of something that like, you can, that easily speaks to everybody and the government keeps reiterating. This is the vision. We're going to be in this kind of country in 30 years and this is how we're going to get there and these are the compromises we need to make you know i I don't right now i don't see that happening in nigeria it's
3: it's 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 there you are touching on something it's there if you look closely at those plans the truth of the matter is some of them are written by highly academic people and so we are not communicating effectively but they, they are developed through a genuinely inclusive process trying to talk to various sectors, trying to talk to various segments of society to try and get their inputs up to the kind of society they want to see. And by and large, if you look at the documents closely, they sort of capture this idea. But I know what you are talking about and it's linked to what I was trying to talk about next, which was establishing the normative standards. Okay, so that's number like, four. Can, mm-hmm. Which, if you mm-hmm. like, you can call ideology. Mm-hmm. Okay. That we are going to become a developmental state. We are having mm-hmm. a national war, guess what against poverty
2: uh-huh you know, yeah you so know we are yeah. we
3: having uh in korea uh, uh i can't remember the phrase they used but i get what you know they, so i know what you mean they call it but i don't know what to translate to so in english anymore right but the point okay. being that so i basically mobilizing people around the community which exactly. Is what, the negative people that we know the fascists the hard communists what they did in the past
1: also also mobilizing
3: people around that vision so mobilizing our people around the common vision i totally agree with you so maybe it's the way we communicate it
2: right Uh, maybe it's
3: the the fact that um, we we're not we haven't put it in a very simple guess what uh, Nigeria is going to be the leading manufacturing economy in africa in 20 years and that means jobs but it also means sacrifices exactly. mean it doesn't work in industry it right. also means teaching our children engineering exactly so, and and here are the things we're
2: doing to advance that yeah. vision not just putting it on paper yeah and like communicate oh, comu- no 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 no. i'm saying the communication point, the just to a point
3: i was going to make mm-hmm. uh, that in all this perhaps the single greatest important thing is state capacity
2: Mm. So is that number yeah. five? Oh no, you haven't. No, you haven't no, no. State capacity
3: is almost like a way of everything done. right. Yes, it's right. a way of getting things done. So if right. you have, if you're acting as a conflict manager, the guys in charge of, say, labor relations, maybe the guys that you in some countries they have the social contract. In South Africa, they have Nedlac that brings the social partners together to try and manage that. So various societies have done it in uh, in, in various ways. The fifth one I was going to talk about was specifying property rights.
1: Okay.
3: okay. Put it crudely. In other words, this is the way you can make money legitimately and relatively okay. smoothly. In other words, it's not property rights about saying I'm a rich man, don't touch my money. No. <laughs> it's about, about saying that, guess what? If you want to be a contractor, you may make a bit of money, but you're not going to make too much money. Yeah. But if you're going to be a manufacturer, guess what? You may get all the foreign exchange you need. Uh, if you want to be right. a technology guy, you may get all the tax breaks you need. In other words, so that's perhaps more than anything else, the what I would say about the, uh, uh, the conflict, uh, the uh, property rights issue. Because sometimes some people see property rights as protecting the rights of those who are rich already. But I'm using it in the sense of telling you the ways in which it is you're going to be able to uh, make. A-
0: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals. And the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite.
3: Undertake productive activities rather than rent-seeking activities. So so this is, if you want tax breaks, go and produce uh, goods, you know. If you want uh, preferential allocation of certain things, be a producer rather than a user, that kind of thing.
2: So I think one of the, I think the critical blocks here, right, is this question of like you you said it yourself, all of this requires state capacity, right? In, in order for the government to play this sort of, stimulative, productive role in the economy, you need to have a capable state. And I think that sometimes is where things can go wrong in Nigeria, right? Can a Nigerian government play this role when it doesn't really have a capable state? It doesn't really have a deep, competent bureaucracy that is well-paid. Right? Like, how do you... It's a chicken and egg problem. Like, how do you actually do this without a competent state? Or, or how do you answer you know, that? How do you think about really
3: that? Good, good question. You remember I, I vatted with at the very beginning. I said rolling back the state before the state was ready. Mm. So you took actions that basically reduced the role of this. You, you, you taught people to think all you have to do is to snap your fingers and... Solutions will come. The value on everything is okay. Uh, roll back the state, privatize, and everything is okay. And then mm-hmm. what you end up with is you've reduced civil service salaries just by devaluation alone. So you've turned a man who was earning a thousand dollars to a man who's earning two fifty, uh, two fifty dollars. Yeah. I'm equivalent. I'm just, uh, yeah.
1: mm-hmm.
3: but the point I'm trying to make is that so we've eroded state capacity over time. But in fairness, it's one thing I can say that we are really trying to It takes a long time. In China, Mm -hmm. Confucius was the guy who started building a solid bureaucracy. But it's doable. I think it's doable. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think uh, we started, the head of service has done a great job on trying to retrain civil servants, on trying to focus on on their welfare needs,
1: on Mm -hmm. trying
3: to extract performance from them, trying to motivate them, Mm -hmm. trying to give them equipment they need. But it will take time. But uh, it started, it's been recognized. And um, it, one of the things I like about that effort now is that a key member of the private sector, uh, Mr. Aigi mm. uh, through his foundation, is really providing that support. So what you find is that annually now, civil servants are applying to those programs, and uh, doing well in those programs are help mm. to give them the skills they need to cope in the modern era. So it will take a bit of time, but Um, that that effort is recognized, that need is recognized, and I'm optimistic that um, it will will happen.
2: So do you think that there is a sequencing issue here as well? Do you think that Nigeria needs to focus first on raising the revenue it needs, improving its, its state competence, paying people better, and then sort of taking a more active role in the economy? Or do you think it needs to happen time? How do you think about it? It needs to happen simultaneously?
3: Uh, no, no, no. You don't have the luxury of uh, sequencing. You have to learn to talk while you walk. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 it's just, that's the challenge I think of governance. is right. How do you balance short-term with long-term, you know? But perhaps also equally important, how do you coordinate within government? Mm. So that the guy who is educating children is educating them to work in the digital economy, so to speak. In Mm. other words, as you, you know, that's why planning is important, properly done. So you know that, look, I'm heading in this direction. I'm going to need the skills that help me to work in that direction. Right. Uh, I'm going to need um, the resources that help me to retrain people to work in that new direction. So everything is interlinked. I'm going to need uh, a health system that underpins uh, workers that are productive, healthy, uh, and motivated. So you know, and I'm, guess what? I'm going to need power to enable those right. factories. I'm trying to en- encourage. So it, it, you can, you have to just learn to talk as you walk. To do uh, you have to do time and so that's a challenge. I think. What
2: about the people who say? Because there's this sense, especially on social media in nigeria that the government is too big the government is everywhere and all we really need in nigeria is to just get the government out of the way and things will work so tell me why i mean i have i have some thoughts too but i I, tell me why you think that's what is wrong with that thinking
3: okay two things i want to say the first is that it's been established that government in Nigeria is actually very small. Even just starting from the revenue-to-GDP ratio, you only control 7-8% of GDP. That's small. In some countries, government-to-GDP, revenue-to-GDP ratio is 35% in the developed world and about 17% in other parts of Africa. So you really cannot say that the Nigerian government is too big. Now, the question is, if it's too big, and I think that's the question you're really asking, is why uh, sometimes the public, why do they want the government out of the way? Right. And I think it's because, whether we like it or not, Nigerians have become largely self-organizing, by which right. I mean that they, they make arrangements for their own power, they make arrangements for their own water, they make arrangements for their own security. So sometimes they believe that, look, if you're not going to solve this problem for me, please get out of the way. <laughs> um, but the truth of the matter is that That's- it's an inefficient way tackle large scale things that require economies of scale and I I, yeah. I I know that the public is usually impatient for results in difficult uh, economic terms uh and so they, they and they, what they just don't want is look get out of my way as you said look less hassles less regulations yeah. right um, and then the more certain policy environment, of changing the rules in the middle of the game so yeah. to speak uh, but the truth of the matter is that you do need regulation if you are going to have order in any business sector, and 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 uh, so I, I'm not going to. You are not going to, for instance, let's use the medical profession. You are not going to say anybody can be a doctor if you want to be a doctor, just get up and go. Right. You know, there must be some regulation around that. Anybody cannot just be a banker just because you feel um, you feel like lending money to people. <laughs> so there must be some come regulation in the modern economy. The right. question is, how do we do it in a way? that it's not a hassle, it's Mm. not used to harass or to extort, I Mm. think is is, is the key challenge. Certainly, we shouldn't be driving around without a properly regulated uh, road system. Um, People have been licensed, people know how to to use road signs and things like that. Mm. Um, So I agree that there's some impatience when things are not the best, but I also feel that uh, there is some need for regulation. Well, certainly a more certain policy environment. Uh, If policies are going to change, the reasons should be clear and where possible consultations should take place so that people know why it's it's being changed and why it would actually benefit them um, in the long run.
2: What do you think is the biggest... Sorry, I I think to your your point, um, people feel that way of having to deliver those services for themselves, right? That's your point. It's like, it's not... It's not just there's, there's, the aversion is because well you haven't provided my electricity you haven't so what why are you even here just <laughs> just get out right I think and I, I think that like, like you said if you look at the numbers the, the actual the reality is that a lot of Nigerian economic sectors actually don't have a lot of of, of government participation right like it's not like government owns banks or like owns so. you know even you know healthcare so many of our, our sectors are like pretty much private sector driven yeah, the problem man. is more like the problem is really more sort of some of the rules that you know small medium enterprises have to abide by you know too much discretion and it leads to extortion and all, all, all of these things so what do you think thinking about that what do you think you know having been in government and how, what do you think people in government fail to understand about how to communicate or how to address these issues so that people outside of government can better sort of understand these challenges while giving the government time to fix them. Does that make sense? Like how, what is missing in the, there's a disconnect right between I think Nigeria's government and it's people, just in terms of the perceptions, right? People inside government are like, what are you talking about? Government is not too big. People outside government are like, well, government, you're, you're the problem, <laughs> right? So no. what's missing?
3: I think, I think you're like? onto something. And the solutions actually are society-wide they're probably education-wide. Um, there's the belief that governments and I'm going to use some three big words I'll try and break them down mm-hmm. The government is omniscient, government is benevolent and government is omnipotent. In other words mm-hmm. there's the belief that government knows everything. They can see X and Y you and I know that there's a lot of information asymmetric. So mm-hmm. there are things that government does not know and will never know and that will impact on the way the economy is working. So for instance um, if a recession Uh, is looming from outside Nigeria you cannot know the impact on you when Russia went into Ukraine uh, nobody knew that it would automatically translate to $100 uh, uh, fuel prices you know because you didn't know how long it would last and you didn't know the nature of the conflict that's one one example the other example is that the truth is that there are agency problems in government in other words um it's not everything that that uh, is, that is, it's not everything that occurs <clears throat> that is, everybody's not on the same page.
2: Right, yes. Those, uh,
3: yes. People yeah. uh, are, are chasing different objectives, sometimes legitimate. Right, that's, that's an important from, point. Yeah. You know, I've written some book in China about how those who wanted to go for fast growth were being pulled back by the senior economic minister. It's too much. We're going to have inflation. We're going to have this table And then Serping, who was moderating that, was playing it safe in the middle and trying to see how to find a mm. safe land. I found it very instructive in the sense that we always just assume that government is one whole big month and agrees on something and goes yeah. the other way. And that's the other thing about omnipotence. You know, assuming that once government says this must happen, it will happen. No, there's a lot between articulation of policy and actual implementation. And even when you implement successfully, there's no automatic link uh, to the outcomes that you get because uh, you know better than everybody. Economics is not physics. Okay. So you find even in the Western world today that they have, they have the, fed, the Fed worries about at what time should I begin to increase interest rates? Would I increase them too fast and take us sharply into a recession? They don't have. They just have mm-hmm. to feel their way around it. But we've grown to believe that government is all-powerful, can solve problems, just take it on board and it will happen. And so I think we need in society to also understand that government has its own limitations. Not right. to even talk about revenue challenges, but the limitations. Government is not a person, so to speak. Right. So the point I'm trying to make is, so economy-wide, we also uh, have to stop expecting government to be able to do everything um, uh, yeah. that is needs to be done. I haven't even spoken about state capacity at all, which is linked to the whole issue of the omnipotence and the all-powerful state. Uh, If you cannot get things done, how can you be all-powerful?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a fascinating tension there, though, that this conversation is highlighting, which is that people think the government can't do anything while thinking that it can do everything, right? There's this interesting tension that really depends on what you're talking about, right? Yes. Like yes. they don't want the government to be, you know, involved in certain things, but they want the government to fix all the things solve, that are not to fix the problems, exactly. right? Exactly. And right. and so it's an interesting tension that but I, I think that it goes down it boils down to this failure of communication from the government. And I, I think that Nigerian one of the things like if I were to answer one of the questions I asked you, which is that one of the things that Nigerian government successively over time have been really poor at, is just communicating clearly on what their priorities are, what they're doing, how they're achieving, like constantly communicating, right? Um, because that brings people along and helps people better understand. When you don't communicate, people create their own stories about what you're doing. Right. I mean, you tell me. You you look like you you're you're like trying to process that a bit. Like I I think that's a big problem for Nigeria. I I
3: agree, except that again, the danger of the single story, in the sense that um, yes, perhaps communication is part of the problem, but perhaps uh, there's a great degree of cynicism, perhaps from a lack of trust, that even when you are giving the message, it's not being absorbed because. People, either people don't want to hear what you have to say or because you're not saying what people would like to hear. I, and, you know, and again, there are different publics, you know, so as you communicate, you may be connecting with some parts of the public who see the point, but there are yeah. those who are almost, you know, viscerally don't want to have anything to do with you, don't believe you, as a yeah. for whatever reasons. And so if they drive that narrative, that's very little you can do. Right. So i like, give you an example, but I hope it's not Going to get me into trouble, but I remember giving a TV interview some three, four years ago when I said work had started on the second Niger Bridge, mm. and that was met with a collective uh ah, disbelief, you know. Mm. The, then over a year, or two later, and you know the work was going on the subsea structures or the sub um, the underwater structures. But when it now emerged and grew up, nobody came to me to say um, we are sorry. <laughs> 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 they Just didn't believe me at that time. So right. I mean, I understand it. I, I understood it. So it's one of the things I was going to say that you know, when our people um, are angry uh, about government, one thing they want is they don't like excuses, right? And they want visible evidence of support and right. effort. Visible right. evidence of effort. So it goes with both, yeah. You know, they they, they always you know Nigerians will say, look, they are trying, or they made an effort,
1: so yeah. It's
3: done visible evidence of effort that I think is critical when you're doing something about it, you're trying to tackle it.
2: It sounds like what you're saying, this is important because I also want people to understand how people inside government feel, like the the challenges they feel or they see in terms of communicating, right? So you're saying that people inside government also see that sometimes even when you're trying to communicate, it's it's very hard to like actually get the message message across, right? I think that I, that makes sense. That's an important point, point. and I think I still think that it's it. There, there are two things, right? It's like the cynicism, the disillusionment is so deep because of the years of underperformance and even I would say poor communication. That I think you need a government, and it's not just a government that is like. Really committed to communicating the vision. Even even when people are saying, sorry, you're not gonna do it, you keep you keep pushing it, you keep pushing it, and then you show, and then you you combine the communication with actually getting the things done, right? And then that will build trust.
3: Well, I'm saying that look, the truth of the matter is, and let's take uh, the homegrown school feeding program. Again, when we started, I remember going for some events. And I said, look, we started with homegrown school feeding. And I think we started in a number of states. And someone from Anambra in the audience was so angry with me. He said, no. So, so, and I'm saying, I have it for a fact. Because one of the things we did was, rather than just trying to implement, we were working with the state governments. They were choosing the coordinators. They were choosing, even helping to recruit some of the cooks and identifying you know, the schools, how you start, and things you need to do. So, the point I'm trying to make is that very often you might find that even when the effort has started, until it really becomes something that takes off, right. once you are met with cynicism, and it's uh, the truth of the matter is uh, it's very difficult to hit your head against the wall too many times. And I just hope that you will be able to, after a while, show that look, you okay. see what I was talking about? You That's
2: know. fair. That's fair. So, Okay. Yeah. I mean, one of the solutions I've heard, I've heard recently is actually that, and this was from Governor El-Rafai, that you should get rid of the federal communications or information ministry and just force every ministry and every government department to do their own communication. Because the one ministry can't appropriately communicate for everybody, right? And it gets sort of, you know, you get caught up in the whole politics of, well, information ministry is supposed to communicate. no you know no no we are supposed to communicate right and so on and so forth um i that and yeah. to me that sounds like a potentially interesting solution what do you think
3: well i don't want to go that way um who am i to comment on government structures all i would say is that it, it i don't think again it's an either or right in the sense That's that fine. if you coordinate properly And the information comes from a coordinated structure. You are doing two things. The first thing you are doing is that you are helping uh, the various components to know what it is that they need to say. But you're also helping the various components not to go outside there and say different things.
2: Okay. Well, it's been, we're at the hour. So I think this seems to be a good place to wrap it up. So thank you very much for your time. Um, So hopefully we'll have you back to talk about other things, maybe when you're outside of government and we can ask you some more pointed questions.
3: (laughs) Okay, thank you very much. I was happy to be there. Thank you for being a part of today's Interesting Programme. You can learn more about the NESG's If Not Now When campaign at www.ifnotnowwhen.ng. You can also listen to other interesting conversations by visiting www.nesgroup.org for slash podcasts.